Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. Uh, if you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. We're just going to jump in today uh, with a question right off the bat. What does it really mean to follow Jesus in the world today? I mean, what does that actually look like? I think many assume uh, that that is something unattainable, out of reach, that life might be too complicated or complex, and that the social dynamics of the world we live in make the teachings and the way Jesus lived extremely hard to replicate in our lives, if not impossible. But today I want to simplify things a little bit and show you that it's not only possible to follow Jesus in the way you think and speak and act and live, but that it's not as insurmountable a goal as we make it out to be, especially if we're intentional about doing this together. Uh, and I've learned this the hard way, being brought up in the church and learning more about Jesus over the years, but only occasionally practicing what he did with others. Uh, and sure, I've done things with others that were things that Jesus did, like service projects. I even built houses in, for families in need in Mexico. And those things certainly did shape me and form me, and, and I wouldn't discount any of them. Um, but what I didn't learn for a long time was how to continually apprentice myself to someone else or to a group of people who were serious about becoming more like Jesus in terms of his character and his skill set, like the day-in, day-out rhythms and practices uh, that he did in the midst of others and community that lead to lasting change, uh, those, that leads to lasting change in, in my own life, but in the lives of others. So I want to show you how to do this today and over the coming weeks. Last week, we talked about Jesus's gospel, the gospel of good news about the kingdom of God that's available for us to participate in right now. And I want to reiterate that that's the place to start because we have to get out of our heads that centering our lives on Jesus is actually not solely about securing our future life in heaven after we died. That is not the entire goal. It's not maybe not even the main goal. And maybe uh, it'll help to hear from a scholar that I really like about that named N.T. Wright. He says, The main business of our life is not to prepare for death. The main business of life for those who follow Christ is to prepare for the life which is to come, which we do by following Jesus in the present and thus becoming new creations in the present. And Wright comes up with this idea simply by looking at how Jesus lived his life, what he actually did in his ministry. We have to get kind of the heaven thing out of our head in terms of it being the main goal. Uh, because Jesus lived this life right here, gloriously, kind of unashamedly, on purpose, bringing healing and connection and peace and joy and kindness and love to his family, to his friends, to his neighbors. And that's all that Wright is saying in that quote. To do exactly that as we live out tangible means of expressing these things. Uh, what we're called to do is bring about a foretaste of heaven to everyone around us and not by expounding what we believe and who we have faith in only, but in addition to that, living out our faith in countless, meaningful, ordinary, intentional ways. And this lines up very much with what one of the first letters to the early church says. It's written by none other than Jesus' very own brother, James, who was one of the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem. And he says this to those who were trying to live out the way of Jesus in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act 
are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. And then James goes on to say in chapter 2, starting in verse 14, some stuff that if I put this on Twitter right now, I think that I'd even have a lot of Christians mad at me because James doesn't split hairs here. He doesn't hold back. I want you to listen to this. He says, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved, and you say, Good morning, friend! Be clothed in Christ! Be filled with the Holy Spirit! And then walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? And I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good! You take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? Well, that's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? And so it's really important to understand that James is writing to some of the same people who heard Jesus in person while he was on this earth, and they are already growing complacent and comfortable and maybe, maybe just maybe by default, just intellectualizing their faith and compartmentalizing it from the actual work of living Jesus' way in a tangible form. And the point is that nothing has changed in this regard in over 2,000 years. We are still dealing with ourselves, with the challenge of putting our faith into actual practice. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because nobody told you and me that you have to actually sit down and imitate someone else who is living this out. Someone who is showing you the ropes face to face, life to life. Dallas Willard said it like this, we don't believe something by saying we believe it, or when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. It's the same with everything else in life that we do. You can't just read about football or soccer or tennis and then just be awesome at those sports. You can't just upload the mechanics of a, of a golf spring from a book and import it into your brain and then go out and get a hole in one every time. A pastor I met a few years ago in DC and who I follow on social, on Twitter, her name's Mandy Smith. She said it brilliantly a few weeks ago. She said, we're not called understanders of Jesus. We're called followers. So if you want to jump rope, you have to practice. If you want to ride a bike, you have to practice. Play an instrument, practice. Excel at a sport, practice. Become a poet, practice. You don't think Aunt, uh, Amanda Gorman, bless her, <laughs> came up with that awesome line out of thin air. There's always light if we're only brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. You think she came up with that? It's beautiful. You think Even if it flowed effortlessly in the moment that she wrote it, you think it just happened? Sure, there's innate talent and skill, but she has practiced writing poetry for years. And so if you really want to be like Jesus to follow his way, it takes earnest and intentional rhythms and practices. And of course, the place to start is by examining how Jesus did this. Who did he think could do the things that he was doing? Who did he call to live like him 
right by his side so that these individuals and families could apprentice themselves to him and become lifelong learners of his way, the way of Jesus. He called ordinary people of all types of backgrounds and upbringings. And as they started to follow him and do the things he did for the reasons that he did them, they started a movement called The Way. In fact, that's the title of our series. If you check out all the places in Scripture where the early church is mentioned, the first followers of Jesus were called The Way. It's in Acts 9, 1 and 2. All of them are in Acts. Chapter 19, verse 9, 19, verse 23, 22, verse 4, 22, verse 14, 24, verse 22. And what I want, I know that's like drinking from a fire hose with all those scriptures. We'll put them up on the screen for you so you can check them out, hit pause or whatever later. But what I want you to see is that according to the book of Acts, the way was more widely known than the term Christian. Acts 11.26 tells us that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians at Antioch. Uh, but the more prevalent term in the beginning for those who were following Jesus was the way. In fact, the word Christian, Christianos, <laughs> it's only mentioned three times in the entire New Testament. And that's really instructive for how followers of Jesus identify themselves today. Yes, we can call ourselves Christians, which literally means a follower of Christ. That's good. It's true. But if we want to get more specific, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he calls his followers to act like him, it's always as he's on the way somewhere, doing something centered on this kingdom of God that he's ushering in, a kingdom that looks and tastes and feels a certain way. He is showing them his way. It involves real relationships with others, purposefully showing up to do something active and helpful, something that gave life or restored people to community where once they were separated from community. Leslie Newbegin, a 20th century missiologist, said it this way, it is a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel to think that it offers us salvation while relieving us of responsibility for the life of the world, for the sin and the sorrows and the pain with which our human life and that of our fellow men and women are so deeply interwoven. So if you've never been discipled, the place to start is with a fellowship of believers who are actively practicing the way of Jesus and attempting to do the things he did for the reasons that he did them. This does not mean necessarily attending a service over and over each week on a Sunday. That's not a bad idea. It's a good rhythm. It's a good practice because there's fellowship and worship and sacrament and unity and camaraderie and a reminder of the mission that we have with other believers in those spaces. And we do that once a month here as a church, and I would love to see you there. But meeting in a more relational space where you can have life and give and take with other believers and receive feedback on how you're trying to live out the rhythms and practices that Jesus exemplified, doing that together with those kind of people is vitally important. And that's why we created kinfolk groups as a church. And that that's why we have classes at church that help us do you know, go deeper into these rhythms and practices. We have one right now called the Life of Christ on Sunday mornings. Unfortunately, a lot of modern day discipleship looks like a funnel that looks a little bit something like this. And it illustrates how we attend a big gathering, kind of connect with some people, serve within the church, and then try to go outside the walls to minister to others and live like Jesus. And it's a funnel shape like this because relatively few people make it down to the bottom of this funnel and out the opening. It's just a little 
drop, a small percentage of Christians end up truly living the rhythms and practices of Jesus that help multiply a group of Jesus followers into a movement. This way appears to produce a small, slow return. If we're paying attention to the story, it's not how Jesus did it. Jesus did it like this. He did not start with a big event that people attended. And even though he drew some large crowds, he didn't spend most of his time there, you know, like working on the Sunday morning service cutting for a cutting-edge weekend service, trying to prepare some kind of mind-blowing, captivating message. He gave most of his time and attention to just three people. And then a good amount of time, but slightly less than those thir- first three with the rest of the 12 disciples, the other nine. And after that, he devoted slightly less time to a group of about 70, according to the scriptures. And then slightly less time than that to a small group that numbered about 500. And this is why we do things different here at West Seattle Christian. In fact, we've written it on our website to make crystal clear our intentions of being a discipling community of Jesus followers. Here's what it says. Here's what we've put in writing. At West Seattle Christian, we do things a bit different in order to engage in the rhythms and practices of our faith in Jesus in a modern, compelling, and effective manner that produces fruit connected to our values of being like Jesus, doing life together, living for the sake of others, and being generous at all times. To accomplish these goals, we meet by design in a once-a-month rhythm in our worship center for our in-person worship gatherings, twice a month in the future, and other times and, and other planned times for specific events, classes, and serving our West Seattle neighbors and wider community. All other Sundays, we gather in our kinfolk groups. We think this is a more intentional, appropriate way to be the church. We are trying to live up to the primary way we think Jesus would evaluate the local church. He would ask, are you making disciples? Does your church cultivate people who live as Jesus did? This is where our heart has to be. Another pastor I met years ago, I've talked with him over the phone in the past, and I've stayed remotely connected to him on Twitter, is Dan White Jr. And he said it very simply like this, Discipleship cannot be microwaved, meaning you can't just get a zap of knowledge or know-how or growth once a week or once a month and suddenly be like Jesus. Dan also said rightly just a few weeks ago, discipleship cannot be consumed. We must participate in it. And so the simple component that's a part of following Jesus that I want to impress upon you today is that you have to be in intentional community of which you are an integral part, and you have to participate in it in order to be formed and shaped like Jesus. The best way to practice is not by yourself, but with others. James didn't say what he said about acting out our faith as if you were an island unto yourself. Following Jesus and being the church is a team sport. The way you will learn to be with God, learn to care for your inner life, learn to live on mission in your neighborhood for your neighbors, Learn to disagree with others without villainizing them or ghosting them. Learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Learn to forgive your enemies. The way to do that is to first and foremost, learn to be part of a community that's reaching and striving to practice these things of Jesus. And this necessarily takes patience and commitment, which are two things that seem to be in short supply these days. But we've done our best to open a way for you to do this. We've intentionally disrupted the rhythm of how we do church. We've slowed our heartbeat from a fast pace to something more deliberate and steady for a marathon because you can't have relationships with people on fast forward. You cannot compartmentalize 
relationship to a greeting time and a quick catch-up after service on a Sunday morning. We're modeling how we gather by what we see Jesus and his followers doing, and we invite you into that rhythm. Jesus came into this world and he lived his life by interacting in the neighborhood, by eating and drinking in the neighborhood. Really, we would be hard-pressed to find any other practice that paints a better picture of the work of the church than that, eating and drinking in the neighborhood together. Acts 2 says how the early church adopted certain practices and rhythms along these lines. In Acts 2.42, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You're invited today. You're invited to our kinfolk groups. You're invited to add this rhythm and practice to your toolkit of following Jesus. May it be a blessing to you as you follow the way of Jesus. Until next time, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.